Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Tuesday, October the 5th, and we gather this next hour around the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles to study Leviticus chapter 18. Now, Leviticus chapter 18 is a text that I've known for quite a while. I remember in college this was often quoted because it does talk about sexual holiness. We've had this occasionally, verse uh, chapter 15 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller last week. We talked about it, and it might be a little more explicit, so I warn parents to use discretion if your children are on or if there's someone else you don't want to be on with you right now to listen to at a different time. But it is an important topic for us because it is often quoted, but not necessarily for the biblical position, but to try to silence those who believe that the scriptures are true. This is why I encourage you to slowly join us today as you look at this because our first and foremost look is to know that this points us to Christ and his grace, but also points us to holy living. So let's hold on tight as our Lord leads us, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word, we have the joy and honor of having with us Reverend Dr. John Helwig, Associate Professor of Theology and Dean of Students at Concordia Lutheran Seminary in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Dr. Helwig, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you, Brady. It's a joy to be with you here. So, Pastor, uh, it is, <laughs> how do you say it? I, that was a long yep. title. I mean, this is something I haven't said a lot, yeah. where I went through the whole thing. Anyways, so tell us, this is our first time together. I know you previously served in St. Louis in the inner city at Emmaus Lutheran. That's how we first met as we tried to coordinate inner right. city work back, boy, six, seven years ago now. But this is the first time with me on KFUO. So can you introduce yourself, your family, and, and your work at Concordia Lutheran Center? Seminary. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, a little bit about me. Like I said, uh, Brady, I was a uh, pastor previously at Emmaus in St. Louis, the inner city work. Um, I've also, even before that, served a dual parish in Nebraska. So oh. I have a lot of experience with small churches, but varied um, locations for that. Um, I'm married to my wife, Denise, and actually today is her birthday. Hey. I won't say how many, but uh, <laughs> I'm very, very blessed to have her and thankful for her. Um, and we have four children. Um, Amanda, who is married to now the Reverend Matthew Berry, um, serving in Sykes, Missouri. And uh, they have our grandson, Jackson, and then um, my daughter, Rachel, who is married to Christopher. And then... Um, Laura, who is at Concordia University, uh, Nebraska, and then my son, Nathan, who's also actually in Missouri now at the University of Missouri Science and Technology. Oh, wonderful. So, uh, still, while I'm in, um, here in Canada with my wife, uh, we've got a lot of connections there uh, in Missouri still. Mm. So, um, and uh, maybe a little bit about us here then, uh, Concordia Lutheran Seminary is one of two seminaries of Lutheran Church Canada. For those um, in the Missouri Synod, this is the lesser known of the two since uh, Concordia Theological Sem 
Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary in St. Catharines, Ontario, is pretty much right across the border from the U.S. There's more often news and connections that way. Um, whereas we're up here in Edmonton in Alberta, which um, is the furthest north that there is any city of any English speaking city of any size. And uh, so it's a, it's a pretty good drive just to even get to the um, American Canadian border. And uh, so we're a little bit more geographically isolated in that regard, but uh, we are here serving Lutheran Church Canada. Um, been training pastors since um, 1986, but then uh, we have recently started a new program where we also train deacons. Um, in Lutheran Church Canada, we a deacon is more like the equivalent of a director of Christian education or director of Christian outreach in the Missouri Synod. And that used to be handled at the university level, but unfortunately that program got ended, and so we have picked that up as well. So we do that. Um, by any standard in the Missouri Synod, our seminary here is tiny. Um, we're very, very thankful that our faculty is filling back out to its standard of three full-time professors plus the president. Uh, we've been short for a little while, but uh, now have the two new ones coming on board. We thank God for them. Um, but you know, in our graduating classes, usually average somewhere in the two to four range. It's been as many as seven at a time. So yeah, we're very small, but it's it's a good place to be. And uh, one of the privileges is is that you really get to walk with this these students and uh, these future pastors to get to know them and uh, help them in, to grow and prepare for the holy ministry. And Pastor, this is a good reminder for us and for you, our listeners, to pray for our brothers and sisters in Canada. We've had Do- Dr. Tom Winger on. When we went through Ephesians, and he's at St. Catharines. And now with Dr. Helwig, it is an honor to have you and to pray for the saints at Concordia Lutheran Seminary in Edmonton. And I have two Edmonton connections, not, not at all close, but just memories. One of them was back in the day, my father was an L, my dad's a pastor, in LWML, they had their national convention, I think it was the last year or something along those lines where they were connected with Canada, and they drove to Edmonton from my hometown in central Minnesota. So I remember that, and that being kind of uh, like, wait, where's Edmonton? What is this? And the second one is more of a goal, and the goal is that I want to someday go to a Canadian football league game in Edmonton because that is the place where the great Warren Moon started his football career in professional football. I don't know if you know who that is at all. But that's where he used to he's oh, yeah. quarterback for the Vikings back in the day. And so I always liked Warren Moon. I yeah. was like, I want to go there and go to a game someday. So that's all I have for Edmonton. That's all I have for the Edmonton. Are they the Elks so, now? They're not the Eskimos anymore. The, the yeah. Edmonton. Yeah, they just renamed um, as the Elks. Got it. I'm still learning, getting used to that. But it, <laughs> it's a, a fun game to watch. I'll tell you, if oh. you're a fan of American football, um, the Canadian football is a faster paced game. Yeah. It's uh, only three downs for a first down in a larger field with so a more spread out offense and just the style pace uh, pace of the play is very it's more fast paced wonderful so it's a fun game I, I look forward to uh, how you say it I look if I go out there we will hang out I will buy the tickets and we'll go to a game so anyways but that day oh, will excellent. come when it comes so but today pastor we are looking at Leviticus chapter 
18. Can you, as we search the scriptures, can you begin our time in prayer? Yes, yes, please. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for reaching out to us, revealing yourself to us in your word, calling us to be your people, um, giving us life and salvation as scripture points to the work of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and how he has cleansed us, renewed us, and made us his own. And we thank you, too, for these portions of Scripture that then point to what life in Christ is supposed to be like, uh, how we are to glorify you with our bodies. And so we ask for your blessing upon our time here. Use your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us that we might better understand your will and your teaching, and that we might always cling ever more firmly to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners that if you have any questions concerning Leviticus 18 or any part of Leviticus, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. We might not be able to address it during our hour here, but we will try to address it at another time. And I encourage our listeners, as we look at chapter 18, it is important that you understand this, first of all, that we believe that the, all of Scripture is inerrant and what we say infallible, meaning it is true that it is done for the purpose by which it's said, and God brought it for a purpose, um, for the purpose of salvation in Christ and also for our lives, as, as for holy living, as Dr. Helwig said. Now, as we look at that, that means that we don't interpret every passage the same. You don't interpret the newspaper as you, the same as you do a medical book um, and so forth. You don't interpret poetry the same way that you uh, interpret a history book. And so this is important for us today that we look at this with the understanding that it is true. Now, how do we look at it in light of Christ and the rest of Scripture? And so, Pastor, and that, and Dr. Helwig, we, it's quite the chapter we have here today. How do you want to start us off so we start off on the right foot? Um, well, I guess here it's helpful to understand that uh, as we've been working our way through Leviticus, um, chapter 18 is really something of a turning of the corner. Here, the, the first 17 chapters focus a lot on the laws of sacrifice and atonement, um, service in the, the tent of meeting. Here, chapter 17, that I presume you looked at yesterday, um, looks at the you know, sacrifice and then the eating of blood, how blood is reserved for sacrifice because you know, we shouldn't be trying to take life into ourselves but rather life comes from God and that. And so chapter 18 is kind of shifting a little bit now to how does one live as one who has been redeemed by God, who has been called by him and sanctified through, in the case of Leviticus, the Old Testament sacrifices, which we understand now we see point forward to the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so chapter 18 is kind of taking us into more of, so how do we live in light of this? And uh, what what does this mean for us? Um, and particularly, it gets right to one of the core issues that seems very modern, and yet it's always been around, and it's always been an important issue, and that is sexual relations. Um, and, that, and so that, like I said, it's kind of a transition, it's kind of a, a turning um, in that regard. And so as we look at Chapter 18... Um, 
is going to talk about sexual relations. You are across the street from a college, and obviously that's a hot topic when it comes to college life. And I, we have talked prior to this, and you know it's no different in Canada than in America in many ways. Maybe, maybe a even a little more extreme at times. But why is it important for us in today's world for the local congregation? The, the, the Christian, one redeemed by Christ, why is it important for us to talk about holy sexual relations in today's world? So, well, it's a, first of all, it's hard for us to do so today because it's such a foreign concept to the rest of the world. Um, you know, the world around us today, though, is looking at sexual relations as really in a, a selfish way. It's about you know, me, who do I want to have relations with? What pleases me? What, you know, it's a, it's a very individualistic thing and everybody can define it. You know, I've, I've lost track of what, how many different sexual orientations people talk about now. It seems like there's always new ones being added every few days. Um, but it's a, it's a very inward, it's a very personal thing. It's just about my, myself. And scripture says something very opposite. Um, here in Leviticus as well as elsewhere, um, that this is not something that is just about me and what I like or me and this other person and who consents to it, but rather it's saying that this is actually building blocks of society. This is building blocks of the world, in fact, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And the first, when we have that first creation, a man and woman, it goes right in there to that sexual relationship um, there at the end with, it's with the establishment of marriage. But also as you move beyond that, we scriptures became very clear that this is about um, you know, society. It's about how we live together. And it's all the more so important when we understand that as Jesus makes so clear, and then Paul brings out as well that in the, in the new Testament, I'm talking now that, um, our sexual relations should be in marriage, and that our marriage, in fact, should be a an example of Christ's love for the church. And that, you know, and of course, Christ's love for the church is hardly about Jesus doing what pleases him, but rather just the opposite. It's about him giving, him providing for us, him cleansing us and making us his own. And so when the world starts perverting it and turning it and turning it into something selfish and that it's really taking something that God intends to teach us about him and his love and turns it completely away from that and thereby confuses us. And of course, one could also get into all of the other social ills that come from it and the, you know, the disease and uh, other problems, you know, quite honestly, most, a lot of uh, problems in society even come from fatherless children and that, but you know, at its core, it's more than that. It's about being other-centered, but also reflecting God's love for us in even our own lives. So let's get into it. I think that's a great, you're laying the groundwork for us to be able to look at this with um, Christ goggles, while at the same time, um, very serious realities of there's implications of when we do not follow what God has called us to do. So are you ready to begin in the text? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's do it. Verses 1 through 5, <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 18, and we will be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. 
And the Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord Yahweh. So, <laughs> he, he tells us three times who he is. And this is obviously important right. as we look at the rest of the identity. What is, what is God doing as he's speaking to Moses in these first five verses? Um, well, first of all, I mean, it starts out very much so just a refrain that we're seeing in, in Leviticus that this is the Lord, this is Yahweh speaking to Moses. It's not just uh, Moses decided to do this. Um, and so even for, and that's maybe a good reminder for us just to start with in that people will sometimes look at texts like Leviticus and go, well, that was the morality of that day. It was just a cultural thing. This is the text is saying just the opposite. It's saying, you know, this is the eternal God saying that this is what the way things should be. Um, and his repeating of that and that, you know, I am Yahweh, your God. Um, that to anybody who is familiar with the writings of Moses is this should be this echo back to the call of Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. Tell them. Yahweh sent me to you. You know that this um, this is clearly the same God. This is the God that rescued them out of Egypt. This is the God who saved them, made them a people, and by His just repeating this time and again in this beginning of this part of the of the book, He's reinforcing that and uh, saying, you know, how are you going to live now in relationship to Me, the God who has saved you? God who has taken you out of slavery in Egypt and made you my own. And so that's, uh, I think, a very strong thing. And he even points out then that, you know, because the other thing here, uh, let me back up for a moment. The other thing that's interesting here is that we have to remember that Leviticus is taking place in the in-between for them, for the people of Israel. They've been rescued from Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land. Um, and Leviticus is written to prepare them for entry to the promised land. We know in numbers that they refused and therefore had the 40 years of wilderness wandering, but God's actually preparing them to go in straight in if they would actually listen to him. And, but he's making clear, you shall not do in verse three, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. You know, not only were you rescued from slavery from them, put away that, you know, the, the evil practices that they did there. But also, you're going into another land where there's evil practices. And elsewhere, God talks about how the practices of Canaan are so evil that the land is going to vomit them out. Mm -hmm. And so, he's saying, don't adopt the culture around you of whichever pagan peoples you're with. And that, but rather... You should follow his rules, God's rules, and his statutes and walk in them. Um, and that constant reminder that it is the Lord is saying, hey, remember who this is. This is the God who saved you, not just some God out there saying do this or else. But this is the one who saved you out of slavery, 
has made you a people in that and has, is giving you, providing for your needs, but also promising you prosperity and care and life eternal, in fact. And so things should be different with him than was in either Egypt or at this was happening at this time in the land of Canaan. And it's interesting as you look at this, it's, it's God pointing to the past, and as you said, and I believe this is the first time I have to, for you, our listeners, if you have a reference that this is not the first time this happened, I haven't looked this part up enough, is it seems to be the first time that I can remember at least where he looks back to Egypt. The Lord says, hey, look at Egypt. I was there. You don't want to live like them. You remember those days. And then he also points him forward and says, in the future, don't live like them either. So he's definitely... He's, he's guiding them almost like a, a, a lesson, like a, like a father or a mother would tell their children, remember how God provided here and he will provide in the future? Same thing here. Look to the past, I was with you. Look to the future, I'll be with you as well. Not as explicit as other points of the Old Testament, but definitely showing this I'm with you along the way reality. And also in the first five verses, it is a true form of laying the groundwork, the foundation, because he doesn't once in these first five verses talk about sexuality yet. He's not talking about sexual relations at all. He's just establishing, I'm Yahweh. I am God. I'm your God. I've been with you. I'll be with you. Now live holy lives as I'm holy, as he will say in chapter 19. Anything else in the first five verses or any thoughts on that? Um. You know, I think it's just interesting that um, in verse five, as after he's established again that you know, I am, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and rules. You know, and that this is, this is just the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's so simple, um, right? It's so and, simple. And, uh, and it, yeah, but I also <laughs> like it because it's not the command of do it or else. Right. Yeah. But it's a relational. You know, you're my people. I'm your God. This is how it should be. You know, and 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 should lead us kind of it's a rhetorical move to lead us to go. Well, yeah, of course we should. Of course we should live this way. We should be upright. We should keep His statutes and His rules. And of course, we stay with God. We follow His rules. We're going to live. You know, and again, it's not the the fear based. And I think this is also important for us to remember in the ancient context, because since he puts it in the context of these polygamous, or not, I'm sorry, polytheist um, regions, Egypt and Canaan. And if you look at the ancient religions, generally it was, you do these rituals to keep the gods happy so they don't whoop off on you. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, you do this so that you won't get storms. You, or you do this other thing so that you won't get a drought or whatever else. And it's a fear-based thing. As opposed to this is very actually very gospel based. It's very grace based. That God has created this relationship. He's going to live with them, and so it's not a fear. Do this in order that I'm not going to get mad at you, but rather it's you're my children. I love you. I've redeemed you. I've made you my own. Now this is what it's going to look like, and naturally, of course, we're going to want to do that. Of course, our sinful nature is another matter, but the logic is that, that, that we should want to do it. So as we look at this, why is it important 
I like how you said that because it really is very, um, very real in this passage of the relationship of God that would separate it from the gods of the Canaanites, uh, the gods of Egypt, which totally were, you know, I'm God, you're not, follow my way or else. But here it is totally, you right. shall follow my, my, my rules, and he gives a personal name for God. I'm Yahweh, you're God. Um, walk in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep. He doesn't. It's not like he doesn't have rules. Of course, he has rules, but he definitely establishes a relationship as like a father to his children, to a mother to to their children. So, why is that important as we look at something like sexual relations and holiness? Like, first of all, it reminds us that again, it's not just about me. <laughs> it's true. It's not about me and what I want, but it's a matter of. How does how does he he want? What does he expect? Um, some of the, our listeners may be familiar with the whole Downton Abbey show and that. And uh, in the first season, there's the one daughter who has this sexual affair with a guy, and he dies in her bed, and there's kind of creates a whole big drama about it. But part of the back of this is is that. If this is known, she just brings disgrace not to herself, but the whole family. Mm. It's not just a private thing of what she wanted, but it disgrace would disgrace her father if this comes out. And how do they try and deal with it? And it's a lot the same thing as far as you know, our, our society today doesn't look, think that way as a whole. But it's like, if I do the wrong thing, I'm not just disgracing myself. I'm disgracing God. And I'm disgracing Yahweh who saved me, who rescued me. And so it puts it out of just kind of what I want, what suits me, and it puts it into this greater relationship of God because God has put his name on us as as his children. And so, therefore, we are to, to live, even in, in our sexual relations, living out that reality. So, Pastor Dr. Helwig, right now we're going to need to take our break. We will be reading uh, 6 through 18, which has some very um, strong language for us to follow, but also important for us to go down the list. Okay, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And guess what? It's actually good for us. So we need to take our break right now. We are studying Leviticus chapter 18 with Dr. John Helwig, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 18 with Dr. John Helwig of Concordia Lutheran Seminary in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And Pastor Dr. Helwig, we have gone through the first five verses. We know the foundation is secure. The Lord God is our God, a God who would send his son to die for us for the sins of the world. And out of gratefulness for this love, he calls us to holiness. 
Now we will see in verses 6 through 18 the details of this holiness, especially when it talks to about sexuality. So let us, I'm going to read those verses now and we'll hear your thoughts. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother, and you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter, or for the daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, it is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter, and you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives, it is a depravity. You shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. So the common word here, uh, Dr. Helwig, is uncover the nakedness of a whole list of people, specifically your family, is the most common um, person that it references. What is God saying here? It can be kind of confusing. Yeah, it can be. Um, I think it's helpful, first of all, how he starts off in verse 6 with a nice summary of any one of his close relatives. So you've got kind of a nice... Mm -hmm summary of it um but then he goes into he's going to break down who all these people are and uh, you know he keeps pushing the boundaries out further and further and so it's not just a little bit but it goes broader than that as far as you know who these individuals are um it's also interesting the way he puts it as far as uncovering the nakedness and even you know we'll take verse seven although it's repeated similarly elsewhere that you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. And pointing out that when if you have sexual relations with her, you're disgracing him as well. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not just a, it's just me type of thing with her, but there's a greater corporate reality going on there. And it's actually trying to honor and protect the one flesh union that was established back in Genesis chapter two, that uh, we are, have that close relationship and the two become one flesh. And so to uncover a, a woman's nakedness is to uncover husband's nakedness. We can't separate husbands from wives in that regard. They're, um, you know, admit together as God has made them one. Now, just to make sure so, we're all, um, can I can ask one question while you say that? Just to make sure we're all on the same page, yeah. because in the ESV, it says uncover the nakedness. And I'm reminded of, of after Noah gets off the ark and his son, you know, saw him naked. So you kind of think, oh, so 
it sounds to me like you're more saying, hey, um, just make sure that you keep your family members closed. You know, they have a little too much wine or whatever it might be. You know, that's kind of the, the feeling of this. But I believe in the NIV it says that you will not uh, approach them and have sexual relations with them. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, we're looking at the, not obviously, it seems to me that they're talking about the sexual relations with these family members. Is that, is that, is that what you found too? Yeah. Yes. This is very much so. It's not just, yeah, you're right. It's not be, don't be a voyeur or make sure that they're adequately closed, but it is very much so of including the sexual relations. And of course brings comes out maybe a little bit more close or more obviously when you get to the end of the chapter where it starts talking about sexual relations, um, outside of heterosexual relations and that um, the context kind of points you that way and that explains a bit. Yeah, this is more than that, but it's more of, I mean, but one of the things we always have to remember too with this is I mean, societies haven't always been quite as cautious about speaking of sexual matters as we are today, but yet this was designed, this was intended to be read out loud to the congregation. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the time, you know, Moses here is softening a little bit. And also we tend to do that with our translations, um, the English translations. We often tend to kind of want to, you know, make it sound a bit nicer mm-hmm. to um, you know, not offend people's sensibilities. But the, the force of it, the, the clearly the, intention of this isn't kind of just don't peek although i think that would certainly be included here but it's more than that it, it's going into the actual having sexual relations and it hits our ears kind of strangely because if there's anything that is really kind of assumed that no one does is i would say incestual relationships not to say it doesn't happen i'm not arguing that but even even somebody who's very open to various forms of sexuality would still say, no, incest is wrong. And so to have this long list of those days is a little bit foreign to our ears. Like, well, wait a second, why was this such a big issue? Clearly it was an issue that happened within these families. And it shows the perversion and the brokenness of all generations and nobody's you know, beyond needing these instructions. So that's something that kind of struck me with this. But I kind of interrupted you and asked that question, What? Where yeah. did you want to go as before I asked that question before? Well, no, um, no, that, that's important. I think that to get to that, that, you know, um, incest is wrong. Although actually, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a curious omission in the list. Okay. It what? talks about, you know, you don't have sexual relations with the generation above you, mother, aunt, and that. You don't have it with your own generation, sisters, um, as well, and that includes even here clearly, you know, um, half siblings and that. And then it goes to grandchildren. I don't know if that you caught that, mm-hmm. Brady, but it doesn't actually mm-hmm. talk about daughters. And I think it's because that's the one level that everybody kind of goes, yeah, that's wrong. Okay. Okay. And then mm-hmm. and today as well. But, you know, it would, yes, it does happen. And you will find a few people who will advocate 
you know, parent-child um, incest, but that's rare in our day, even even in our day, with all of the other things that are permitted. But your aunt, you know, no, people don't really think as much about that as necessarily wrong. And so there's, so it's kind of interesting. It seems like the the, the narrowest of parent-child is assumed. Right. And so Moses is having to go around it. Okay, it's not just that. Let's build it out further. Let's explain that this is the full extended family. And it's, you know, shouldn't look for like a little narrow limit and say, oh, well, this, you know, it's a genera- an extra generation removed, therefore it's okay or something. Yeah, um, wow. But rather he's trying to, 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 I think more of anything, try and keep people from trying to duck around it and go, well, it's not my daughter, so it's okay, right? No, it's not. <laughs> right. There's not a lot of wiggle room in how he's speaking here, but that, no. that is a, a striking omission for sure, um, which which shows that there's, st- there's still, I guess you say, morals in the midst of even the most ob- obscure and crazy amount of debauchery that clearly was going on uh, that Moses had. The, the Lord right. had to make sure Moses said this. So we've gone through this list. Mm-hmm. This list is, is, is quite crazy to even think about for our lives but it's important to have the list any last thoughts on that i mean we've covered it um but I'll, I'll say this i'll say this is that if you were to sit with somebody who doesn't even believe in the scriptures and they were to question you and say well you know it's just all outdated stuff we don't believe in any of that i mean you could go down this list and say would you agree with what they're saying here and i would be intrigued to find out for someone who maybe doesn't have faith or maybe would have a more open uh, I'll just say liberal view of the scriptures, what they would say about this, because I think we might get a lot of agreement, uh, almost not, maybe not a hundred percent, but pretty darn close to what has been said so far. What are your thoughts? I think you would, um, you know, this is one of those parts of, you know, the, the law has been written on our hearts. I think this is one of those parts that I think is most, maybe more strongly written on our hearts. It's more, more obvious for us. Mm-hmm. That while there are those who try to move against it, most don't, and um, and even you find that those who are guilty of violating this even today usually start trying to justify themselves and explain why. And you only have to justify something that you know is wrong. Right. You don't have to justify what's right. You know, I've never been pulled over from by a police officer and had to, to justify to him why I'm following the speed limit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's always so anytime you're wanting to justify yourself, it's always because you know in your heart it's wrong. Um and so I think that's part of it. Well the other thing that's interesting to note is this wider list. Actually in the New Testament we run into not one but two examples of this having been violated. That's true. That's true. Can you tell can you yeah, the first yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The first is um, Herod Antipas, and uh, who ends up beheading John the Baptist over this, because yeah. John the Baptist had the audacity to say, "That's against the law. You shouldn't have your brother's wife um, while he's while she's while he is still alive." And that, um, and the other one is First Corinthians, where we um, Paul had to chastise the church for having a man who was um, having sexual relations with his father's wife whether that was his mother or a stepmother we don't know but regardless the the church had was actually accepting an individual who was in direct violation of 
um, Leviticus 18 here, and so Paul had to take them to task for that. Um, and I should also note it might be helpful for us because sometimes it's sometimes a challenge for people to understand when we look at some of these Old Testament laws and well, what is still binding today? What isn't? You know, what what you know, you know, we don't have to eat shrimp. Oh, we, we can eat shrimp and we can have you know, bacon or whatever today. But what about this part? Well. Um, the New Testament is clear that no, this still holds. Um, and in fact, we have a couple of examples of the, there of leaders in the church, John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul, having to chastise um, people for violating these this, these clear laws here in Leviticus eighteen. And that's an important uh, distinction for us to be able to make. So, when we look at the Old Testament, we see a law. There's, a, there's three ways of uh, we typically look at that. You have the ceremonial law, you have the civil law, and you have uh, the moral law. That's, at least that's the distinctions that we've made on this program. And I want to hear if you have a, uh, caveats right. to this. Is, is, is it not only is it fulfilled in Christ, because Jesus says that in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, that he's not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. But then there's the <laughs> reaffirmations in the New Testament over, for example, the Ten Commandments, that he and he speaks about this. He even speaks about the Sabbath, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath kind of language. And so if it's something that's right. in the Old Testament but never referenced in the New Testament, you're kind of like, okay, what do we do with that? But something like this, it's in the Old Testament, and it's reaffirmed in the New Testament, which is an interpretive key and in how we've talked about this. How would you talk about that? Or do you have any caveats to this or thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I would definitely agree that uh, the first of all that the, the New Testament clearly reinforces and repeats this law, showing that you know, and like like I think we were talking about it before the, we got on the air, but I mentioned just now the dietary ones. Well, the New Testament clearly speaks of you know multiple times that the dietary laws are no longer enforced. That you know Jesus has declared all foods clean. Um, the vision to Peter, etc has made that clear, whereas the New Testament also clearly says this still holds, but so much of it is we want to get behind it all, it's because this is part of the moral law. Um, this is, again, it's about marriage, which goes back to Genesis 2, pre-fall. This is about the nature, built into the nature of creation, the way things should be with as far as sexual relations. It's not something we choose, but rather it's, it's this is the way Things are designed to work and were designed to work even before sin entered the world. Mm. And so it's not the type of thing that we can just go, oh, yeah, that doesn't apply anymore. Um, as long as we're created beings, which will be forever, it does apply. And this is why I think we need to get to this next section is to be able to talk about a hot topic that is, is everywhere we look. And once again, reminder, Dr. Helwig and I, our focus is on the truth of the scriptures, that our interpretive key is that the, the scriptures are true. And so for you as our listeners, um, whether you agree with us or not, the question is, what is your worldview? What is your foundation of determining what is right or wrong? And ours is the scriptures. And how does it flow through all of Holy Scripture, all 66 books? And so when we read this next portion, understand that that's the interpretive key that we have. Verses 19 through 23. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, 
and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it, neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. I want to I want to just make sure we cover some of the other situations here. You have sexual relations during a woman's menstrual cycle. Um, that you know that's one of them. Talks about you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, uh, which you know obviously is an adulterous situation. Uh, you should not offer your children to Moloch. <laughs> kind of, kind of right in the middle of all of this. All of a sudden, we have offering your children to something else. I wanted to see if you wanted to comment on that before we get to the next section. Um, yeah, well, I think that verse at first seems like, okay, what the heck's that doing in there? You know, right. it's talking about, you know, sacrificing children to a false god. But it helps us to also realize by putting in here, what is the purpose that God gave us the sexual relations for? You know, and again, it's not while, yes, they are pleasurable, it's not for pleasure, but it's both unitive with you and your and your wife or um, husband, if it's a woman, for women, but um, your spouse, but it's also for procreation, it's for having children. And so to then take the product of that sexual, sexual relation, the child, and turn around and sacrifice it is in fact a violation even of the sexual union because you're taking what's supposed to be giving life and turning it into death and death in fact at a pagan altar you're going to make it worse but it helps us to clue in on you know so much of this as far as it's again the purpose is about life and creating life not again personal pleasure and that and it's something that is totally foreign in our world today. We're living in, and as a, as a historian, my PhD is in history, I'm hesitant to say this, but we are living in a unique time in history because this is the first time in history in which sexual relations and procreation are separated in people's minds and technologically are. You can have a child without sexual relations and we can have sexual relations without a child without producing a child. And that is just bizarre as far as the world history is concerned. Um, but this text is pointing us back to that's what sexual relations are really about, is about that creating of life. So as we look at this, that is that is a great insight, because you said it's strange in there, but it's just as offensive as these other, <laughs> which is hard for us in our culture, to sacrifice your children would be incredibly offensive which once again points us to Christ and the ultimate sacrifice our Lord God the Father would do for us out of love for the sake of our sins. I mean, it, it just really puts it in perspective. But it also shows us how, how crazy and how offensive it is the next two things. When, it, when the next thing, when it says, you should not lie with a male as with a woman is an abomination. So then you, you get that one. You're, okay, well, we don't know if that one's true. But then the question comes to in verse 23. You should not lie with an animal and make yourself unclean with it. So now you have another perversion. So right in the middle of, or right, right surrounding this one thing that many people would say, no, that's not a big deal. 
is surrounded by two things that we would see as greatly offensive in our culture today. Any thoughts on that? Sacrifice your children, bestiality. We look at those two and say, no way, that's awful. Right in the middle and go, well, maybe that's not so bad. Any thoughts on that? I wish I could fully agree with you as far as our culture is concerned. Um, But, uh, okay, we're not sacrificing children on the altar of Molech, but is not abortion a form of this? Yeah, good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Sorry. You know, we're sacrificing our children for our prosperity. Whether you are doing it on the altar of a pagan god to get prosperity from it or to further your career or whatever, we are in a form fashion moving in that direction or move, have moved there. Yeah. Um, not a, again, not as boldly, but or as obviously we cloak it in um, medical, the medical world, but in reality, that's what we're doing. Um, and there are those today who are advocating legalizing um, and normalizing bestiality. Oh my. And so, you know, the, the one of the things that's in a, in a scary way, and it, but fascinating to me is, is how with the sexual revolution, um, 1960s and the, the, the goalposts keep getting moved, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go this far, but the next step is too far. Oh, now we're going to take that next step, but the step on that's too far. And you know, to where, you know, because we've already in very recent years have gone from accepting homosexuality to homosexual marriage. Of course, here in Canada, homosexual marriage has been legalized for quite a bit longer than in the U.S. Um, and now there's all the talk of polyamory and uh, the open marriages uh, with people of both sexes and all that, you know, kind of widening it out there. Um, and then, yes, there are some who are now pushing for bestiality. So um, as scary as it is, we keep going there. But I think this is also one of the things that God is warning us about is that sin grows. You know, and when you say, well, the first part of, of our text today you're looking at the incest, oh, well, that's all wrong. But the fact of the matter is, it just keeps growing. And you move from one to the next to the next, um, moving into more extreme forms of sin and being more enslaved by it. Um, and, and, so. and, and Dr. Helwig, you, you bring up some, something so important is how sin can grow in all of our lives. This is not a text where we look at somebody else and say, how dare you ever do that? Um, because the reality is that same sin that you have is the same sin that I have, and the brokenness that you have is the same same brokenness that I have. So none of this is outside mm-hmm. of our reality in certain circumstances, which is why we come before the, the grace of our yeah. Lord Jesus, not a sacrificial Molech, but a sacrificial God who gave himself and, and calls us to himself over and over and over again in forgiveness and gives us his Holy Spirit to live holy lives. Now, Pastor, I want to finish the rest of our right. text, and if you have more you want to dig into what we just discussed, I want to get there, but we have about five minutes left, so I want to read the rest and then come back if you have more thoughts than what we just read to the end. That sounds good. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you should keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who are before you 
did all these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it has vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge, never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. So, Dr. Helwig, you know, basically 19 through 30, what do you want to highlight uh, for a minute or two before we wrap everything together? Um, well, I guess this is what I referenced the latter part here, as you just read, is what I was referencing earlier as far as, you know, God is saying that the sins are so severe that the, the nations in Canaan are being vomited out. Um, and it's a, you know, very vivid. It's not just, you know, they should leave, but vomited out, cast out, you know, um, rejected by the land. And uh, one of the things I think that's important that this brings to the whole text is, is again, particularly sexual sin, we tend to look at as a personal thing. Mm. It's just me. It's just what I'm doing here or whatever. But we see that there's a corruption for, in the first half of the chapter, actually, to the whole family. But here we're seeing it even to the land, to the nation. Um, there is a corrupting that sin continues to do upon us with that. Um, and I appreciate your comment before about uh, we should understand, see our own guilt in this. Um, where Jesus points out so clearly in Sermon on the Mount, where he says, if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so none of us should be looking at this text and go, oh, yeah, there's all those evil people out there. But rather, oh, man, that seems corruption's in me. And maybe I haven't acted on it, but I, it's there. And uh, first of all, I should thank God that he's kept me from acting on it, not think I'm so great, but rather realize it. And then turn back to him. And, you know, as you pointed out, the great switch of Molech, instead of us sacrificing our children to a God, it is God who sacrificed his son for us to forgive us, to redeem us of all of the ways that we sin, including sexual sin. And we should not think that any sexual sin is beyond his ability to forgive because he did. Christ died for and bled for all of those sins and cleanses of all of those things and uh, and whatever our other sins we, we have that he cleanses us of all of those and it's for that that therefore he makes us through his spirit clean and now he is the one even that enables us to try to live according to this law and this uh, Dr. standard that he has played for us dr hellwig we have about a minute left how would you summarize this chapter um what it says and also what it means for us. Well, I love what one of my students this morning said about this chapter. If it ain't your wife, don't do it. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's about, you know, we, we should, we should live our lives in purity, including in our sexual lives and recognize that this isn't a personal thing. It's about what's good for the family. It's about what's good for our whole society. But it's most of all, it's grounded in, our identity as God's redeemed people, the Yahweh, our God, who has named us, who has redeemed us, who has called us, us today out of slavery to sin, not just slavery in Egypt, that we might be his own and that we might then live reflecting his love to the world around us.
Dr. John Helwig, Professor of Theology at Concordia Lutheran Seminary in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, giving us God's strong word today from Leviticus chapter 18. Dr. Helwig, thank you for the gifts. All right. Thank you very much, Brady. It's been fun. Saints of our Lord, sin is real. Temptations are real. Sexual temptations are real. What I encourage all of you, our listeners, to do, the temptations you have, bring them to the cross. Go to your pastor, your faithful pastor, and tell him your sins so that you'll receive the forgiveness all on account of Christ. Because he tells us that these sins are something that will lead you away from the Lord. It leads you away from all this. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it brings it all together where he says, Such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is our hope, and that is where we end, which is, I am the Lord your God, a God of forgiveness. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. Mm-hmm.